You're listening to The After Session with Philip Lewis. I'm a therapist based in Washington, D.C., and I hope to provide my perspective on work done throughout the therapeutic process. Some of what you'll hear will be interviews with other mental health professionals or former and current clients. In this case, these interviews are voluntary, not conditional to the status of a person presently in therapy, and those interviews are not considered a therapeutic session or a recommendation for forms of treatment. If you are interested in starting your therapeutic process or engaging in a protocol or technique referenced, please make sure you contact your mental health or medical provider. Thanks for listening. Today, I will be discussing um, a blog that I wrote recently called What You See is What You Get. And it discusses the importance of visualizing what you want and how important it is to make sure that the things we see in our tangible world, as well as our imaginary one in our minds, are some things that are positive and can be positive reflections of ourselves. Um, so my guest today is a current client, and he, we will be getting into uh, this concept and some other concepts regarding EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which we'll be discussing a bit later. But to start out, I want to talk about the the concept of what you see is, is what you get. And uh, when we first started in therapy, I challenged you to give me an image of um, a worst moment. I'll just say worst moment. You can express what if you feel comfortable enough saying what that moment was. And I asked you to freeze that frozen picture and notice what you're feeling in your body. Notice what conscious thoughts or subconscious thoughts were coming to the surface. And um, we went through the regular session. We did some techniques to kind of desensitize us to what was happening, how we were responding. And afterward, you were quite surprised, like, man, I don't feel the same way I felt about that picture now when I look at it. And I said to you, well, you know, you can give yourself this feeling without me as a therapist. And you're like, what? And I was like, yes, definitely. Um, because the brain is doing the exact same thing. So we can imagine or think of a worse experience in our life, right? And our, we'll get butterflies, our temperature will raise, our heart rate will increase. We'll, some people have trouble breathing, some people start sweating. We have a physiological response to a, an image, to an event, to a moment in time. And sometimes it can be something in the future that we're predicting that might happen. It doesn't need to be something that's actually factual. We just have this belief that something negative will happen, and we feel a physiological response in our body. It's evident, it's true, but the way the image or the visualization makes us feel. But we always forget that we can do the exact same thing for positive moments in our past, or creating or picturing positive moments in the future, and seeing what that visualization, that tool, that technique, that practice, what good feelings it brings our body and what it brings to our mind. Do you remember that conversation? Yes, I do remember it. Did you, did you think about positive thoughts and visualization quite that way before coming to therapy? Um, no, if I'm being honest uh -huh. and if I'm being very frank, it's one of those things that I didn't think had much basis behind it before coming into our therapy sessions. Uh -huh. I was quite skeptical, but at the same time, I wanted to keep myself open because who knows, it can't hurt to try. Okay. And that was where I at, was at 
okay. before I started the session. Okay. And where are you now? I am a believer in visualization. Um, I think that my mentality has made a 180 shift about this specifically, just seeing the results in terms of not just how I carry myself in my day-to-day -day life and how I think, but also in those quiet moments in terms of how you talk to yourself and how you deal with yourself, mm -hmm. there's a tangible effect. Cool. So for our first three weeks, we primarily focused on EMDR. And after week three, I was just like, holy shit, you look different. And I kind of was like, am I going to make him feel weird by saying this? But I was like, bro, your like whole aesthetic has changed. Your physical appearance has really improved. And I was just like, man, I'm wondering if how you see yourself is actually changing your physical appearance. Do you remember that conversation? I do remember. And I think you're 100% right. And it has to do with I both sides of one where you care about yourself more and you're not in this negative mind state, you take care of yourself more in a physical manner. Mm -hmm. But I think there's also the addition that how you feel is also reflection of what you put out there to the world. Mm -hmm. And for me, I know that when I get stressed and anxious, it literally shows up on my face mm -hmm. in certain physiological ways. So I think when you saw me those few weeks later, a load had been taken off my shoulders, I was feeling better about myself I was treating myself in a more kind manner, and that led me to taking be better care of myself physically, but just having that weight off my shoulders, I think also ref reflected in a physical manner. Good deal. So for those of you listening who ever heard of EMDR, um, this is a way for the mind to naturally heal itself, just the way, the same way the body does. So much of our natural coping mechanisms occur during our sleep, particularly during the rapid eye movement or REM sleep. With that, Francine Shapiro developed eye movement desensitization and reprocessing in 1987. Utilizing this natural process in order to successfully treat post-traumatic stress disorder. But uh, evidence has shown that it's been just as effective with anxiety, substance use, um, eating disorders, depression, low self-esteem, and even performance enhancement. So the way it works is most of the time our body routinely manages new information and experiences without you being aware of it. However, when something out of the ordinary occurs, and you are traumatized by an overwhelming event or by being repeatedly su subjected to a disaster or distress, your natural coping mechanism can become overloaded. This overload can result in disturbing experiences remaining frozen in your brain or being unprocessed. Such unprocessed memories and feelings are stored in the limbic system of your brain in a raw and emotional form rather than a verbal story mode. So in sessions, I kind of say that this is a way for us to reprogram or change our responses. And I like it knit to our neural pathways and neurotransmitters. So I always say, and go into the science -y stuff, so for those of you listening, you're going to get bored for a sec. I always say that something happens or we create a neural pathway by a few ways. You know, one way is by doing something over and over again. Another way is by something significant happening, and that can be a positive thing or an emotionally jarring thing. And the third way is by learning something new. These are the ways at least my small brain knows about making neuro, new neural pathways. 
And the neurotransmitters that get sent through those neural pathways help our body and our mind to like kind of process the information. It carries the message, right? So when something significant happens, it creates this file cabinet, this neural pathway that the information gets processed through. And if anything looks like, smells like, tastes like this significant event or this thing that has happened over and over again, our brain will subconsciously use that same neural pathway that processed the information and nine times out of 10 will respond the same way. So that same negative thought about ourselves will come up or that physiological response will happen when we come into a room and we think that we have to give a speech or that we're, we're um, a little anxious around other people, blah, blah, blah. In short, when we move the eye movements or have the rapid eye movement while we're conscious, we can take that information that's going from one neural pathway and put it or find another way to process it. So before when I'm giving a speech or when I'm in a social environment, I have butterflies. Now I can tell my stomach that there's nothing going on. I don't have to be anxious. Those negative thoughts about who I am and my perception of myself no longer pop up. So as a person of color, if I can always bring it there because I'm a black therapist and, you know, it just is what it is. When I went to this training, I was like, hocus pocus. You are not sitting me down. You are not waving something in front of my eyes. And you're not going to hypnotize me, basically, um, because either one, it doesn't work or two, I don't like to be not in control because that's just not a thing for me. But then about five minutes in, I was like, holy shit, <laughs> this actually works. And I started doing it in the military. That's where I learned it. And then now I do it in private practice. And I feel like when I explain it to other people of color, they're just like, uh, uh, no, nah, that's not going to work. What was your initial thought when I had uh, proposed this treatment option? Uh, it's not going to work. Okay. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> uh, it's exactly what you described, that mentality of this seems either a little hoax-focusy and it's not going to work, or if it does work, there's that fear of a lack of control. Mm -hmm. I would say those are my first initial thoughts. Mm -hmm were those exact two things that you mentioned. And I think in communities of color, I think that's very common. We always have to be on our guard sort of due to a variety of reasons. And with that comes the fact that you tell yourself, well, if I hand over control, I'm handing over my safety. Mm -hmm. And who wants to hand over their safety? Right. So what, uh, what um, convinced you to, to just dive in i'll be frank mm -hmm. desperation okay i think when i came i had just come out through of two scenarios relatively close in time to each other where i was spiraling very anxious i dug myself out but it took a long time and it affected my day-to-day -day life and i was just thinking this can't hurt more than what I'm the situation that I'm already in. So why not give it the opportunity? Worst comes to worst. I don't like it or it doesn't work and I can stop. But if it does work, then maybe this is a new tool that I can use. Okay. And it, I, I guess it's, I'm safe to assume that it worked for you. It worked. Okay. It worked for me and it's the reason why I continue doing it. Okay. Um, what does it feel like physically? In the moment, it almost feels like you're trying to grasp 
onto one to two things. I would say in your day-to-day life, there's a lot of things going through your head. There's a lot of different types of distractions. But during a session, you're focused on one idea. And I think because of the rapid eye movement, and I'm not the expert here, Mm -hmm. but during the session, because of the rapid eye movement, it's difficult to have a lot of disparate thoughts. So you end up channeling into one specific focal area Mm -hmm. as part of that memory. And when you're doing that, you're pulling, at least for me, you're pulling up the association association and feeling that you have with that one initial moment. Mm -hmm. After a while and through the sessions, there's a slow shift in guidance into essentially replacing that feeling with something else. And as you're going through, you're associating that memory with that new feeling more and more, but in a very subtle way. But at the end of it, and almost in a fashion you don't quite realize, you end up replacing your feelings with that memory for something else. And that's such a powerful thing that when you think back to this thing that had such a negative impact on you, now you can associate it with, at the very least, a neutral and, if possible, a positive association. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. And you're in control the whole time. And you're in control the whole time. It's something I neglected mm-hmm. to mention. <laughs> uh, but yes, it's not one of those things where you're being put completely under or anything like that. You are in control. Right. So so what he's referencing for those who's listening, uh, who are listening um, is what I call or what I think I've been taught to call. I don't know. Um, but the desensitization and positive installation phases of a session. So this all happens in the span of 30 to anywhere between 30 and 90 minutes, right? So I ask someone to visualize or to think of an incident and play it in their brain like a movie. And then I'll say, I want you to start that movie, press play, and I want you to speed it up, fast forward, watch all the scenes, and then freeze it at the worst part of the climax and tell me what's happening in that frozen picture. And then as the person is describing the picture, obviously I'm recording, you know, if they're having any physiological sensations, stomach you know, anxieties, anything like that, or if there are any negative beliefs that pop up about themselves when they look at this picture or this moment from the past. With that negative belief, I ask them to hold that picture and that negative phrase or that negative um, thing that just popped up about who they are, what they're doing, or what they're experiencing, and I ask them to just hold those two together while following a pen or my finger um, while they're conscious. They're not asleep or anything like that. And what happens during the desensitization phase is because of the hyper-focus, right, on that moment or the experience, I always think of or explain it as the brain starts to dig up anything that's anywhere near associated with that emotion or that physiological sensation. So if I'm looking at a picture and I'm thinking that I'm not good enough, it's very likely that all the moments where I felt I'm not good enough might pop up in my mind, right? Or or the image might change to a time when I was a child and I felt I wasn't good enough or someone told me that I let them down. Or my body might have a reaction, right? I'll start cramping or every time I feel like I'm not good enough, my heart rate increases or I get sweaty. All of these things happen because we're kind of going deep, digging into the subconscious and pulling out all of the associations with this thing or this event. So that way they're on the table 
when you can verbalize them, you can process them, and you can tell yourself what you want to do with it. So in the session, all I literally say is, what are you feeling? What are you noticing? What comes up for you? And that is up to the patient or the client to say, you know, I'm feeling this or I'm noticing that. And I literally say, okay, focus on that and go with that. Then when we get to a certain point of the session where it feels like we're not as emotionally charged, um, we're now pretty neutral. Or when we look at the picture, all of those emotions aren't coming up anymore. I then ask, what would you like your body to do? Or how would you like to believe, what would you prefer to believe about yourself in this moment? And this is called the positive installation phase. And we do the same exact thing, except now you hold a positive belief or what you would like to respond or how you would like to respond differently with that picture. And we do the same exact thing over and over again. And at this portion of the session, folks sometimes come up with solutions to problems. They unpack traumas or um, things that may have been associated with this in the past or for a lot of folks forgive others and forgive themselves so with that what does it feel like emotionally when you're going through that process the way it feels emotionally is when you have that first negative thought in your mind there's almost at least for me a pit in my stomach mm -hmm. i would say that's how i feel a lot of negative emotion, especially anxiety. As you go through and you start to dig up those feelings and then replace the association, it's almost as if you're physically getting lighter. You're feeling that, at least I'm feeling, that pit inside of me start to dissipate bit by bit by bit. And I think the ideal scenario, which has happened a few times, is you start replacing this with a positive aspect and positive emotion, and you actually start to feel better. And I, better is a bit of a vague phrase, but it's a little bit difficult to describe. But mild, mild joy, mild elation, depending on what you're replacing the feeling with, where instead of it being this I can't do this emotion. There's no way I can accomplish this emotion. I'm a bad person because of this emotion. It becomes, I need to treat my, I deserve happiness or I have friends and family that care about me. So it goes from that sort of feeling of anxiousness and potentially even despair to something more of what's it like when somebody cares for you. And that's the feeling you feel instead. In real time. In real, in real time. And in your first session, you came in and you're like, uh, whatever, let's just try it. And then maybe, I don't think it was, we even took the whole hour. It was like 15 or 20 minutes. And then we're done and you're like, oh my God, I feel so much different. I might go hang out with my mm -hmm. friends tonight because they, they've been texting me. But yeah, I think I will. I feel energized. I feel like I want to be social and I want to um, just enjoy life. Do you remember that? I do remember that. And I, that was the moment that, kept me pushing forward mm -hmm. because I know myself and in these type of situations, what I would do is retreat. Mm -hmm. I would go home, I'd be on the couch or under the covers, maybe watch some TV and I wouldn't want to talk to anybody. I wouldn't want to see anybody, but this was a very distinct response after, you know, what had been a pretty rough few weeks for me where instead of retreating, I felt good enough to where 
I wanted to reach out to those people close to me. I wanted to see them. And it was because of the session. There's no way around it. There's no way about it. If it wasn't for the session, I would have not have done that. What are some other like pre and post uh, benefits or distinguishments that you've seen since, since uh, starting? I think the biggest benefit is that I've been kinder to myself when I have my little internal monologues. Everybody has those little moments when you're talking to yourself, right? Where it's like, oh, I maybe should have done this better. I should have done X, Y, Z. Why didn't I do that? And what I noticed in the beginning is that those thoughts would soon be chased by a thought of, but it's okay that you didn't do those things. And, oh, just because you made a mistake it doesn't define you. And over time, what I noticed was that there was even less of that upfront negative thought. And instead, that would be replaced just by the positive thought of, oh, you made a mistake, but it's okay. Oh, this isn't going well, but you still have people who care about you. And it becomes an automatic response. So it's, I guess to put it in a more succinct way, the way that it's benefited me is that it's made me be kinder to myself in my day-to-day life. Nice, nice. I, um, your therapist sees a therapist. A lot of people don't know that. So my therapist does not practice MDR. And I always think like, man, I need to teach her because there's some people I just don't trust. And even though I'm a clinician and I know nothing will happen and the science proves that, you know, it, um, it's safe and all of these things, I think it definitely, there's a relationship and a vulnerability, certain level of vulnerability that you have to build in order to, to practice it. But I think to myself, man, if I could find a therapist that I trusted who did EMDR, I would rule the world because I'd use it for everything. I use it for future things. I use it for performance enhancement. I use it for any time that I was like, man, I want to eat a salad instead of a cheeseburger. I'll be rewiring all of these synapses in my brain. <laughs> so is that kind of like how you see it now? Or is it for you, it's been very specific, specific, excuse me, for your emotions. And like, okay, I'm uh, got a few things processed. I think I'm good, and I got what I needed from therapy, and I'm, I'm moving on. I think my initial thought was just use it to address some upfront problems that I have. But now that you're mentioning all these other potential benefits, <laughs> I think I might start sneaking some of that in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. What would you tell someone who might be interested but uh, is having their doubts? I would say it depends on what doubts you're having. I think the most common is, I don't think it'll work. And what I'll say is, what is it going to hurt? What is it going to hurt for you to go in there for 30, 40, 50 minutes and just try it out? Have an open mind when you do it. Don't close yourself off, but just do it and see how you feel afterwards and compare before and after. And for those of who have more issues when it comes to giving up control having gone through it myself i can say there's no point where you lose control at any point during the session i could have just gone well i don't like doing this i want to stop and i want to leave and there's nothing keeping you from that so in both facets i would say there's not much of a drawback and there's a lot to gain have there ever been moments like because on control what about emotional control? Have there ever been moments where it's like, whoa, this is something I'm not ready to process yet, and I just 
realize that these two things were connected and I didn't see them as connected before. I just thought that thought they were separate. I didn't know that my response was related to this thing that happened in the past. And I don't really want to talk about that with this weird guy who's waving this thing in front of my, my face. Has that ever come up? I would say there's moments where I started to make certain connections, nothing that I think I wanted to stop. But again, with the clear mentality that if I could, if I wanted it to stop, mm -hmm. I could have. Um, I would say for me, the emotional responses were actually something more I was, that I was seeking out. So okay. for me personally, I always have trouble displaying my emotions. And for me, part of therapy is looking to explore that side of myself and try to be more open with that emotional side of myself. So I try not to limit myself when I am in a therapy, mm -hmm. therapeutic session, just because in that safe space, for me, I want to be able to divulge anything. Mm -hmm. Let's get back to the physical part. I, I forgot a question really quickly. I had one um, person came in once who was an athlete and um, has stated that their right leg was in a lot of pain um, last couple of weeks, and we did an EMDR session, and it was gone. Have you noticed any physical responses or, like, tightness, anything like that for you physically that have been different after a session? Yes. I don't think it's as dramatic as not having something wrong with my leg, having something wrong and then not having something wrong with my leg. Right. But going back to that initial experience of just that giant knot in your stomach that to, for me to the point where I felt nauseous, mm -hmm. where it's like, it's just consuming you. And after a session, it's gone. I would say that if I didn't even know, if I didn't know what that was emotionally, I would say that I had something like food poisoning or something of the sort, mm -hmm. just because of the way I felt. Mm -hmm. And after the session, I didn't have that anymore. That physical response was gone. Cool. Have you shared your experiences with anyone? Not in detail, no. Well, it's keep, kept you from. Not that you have to, I'm just wondering. I think for me, it's, I talk about that I'm in therapy, but I don't really talk about specifically what I talk about in therapy and I think this is a pretty unique experience. So I, it never really even occurred to me to share it because inside of a therapy environment, I think it's that mentality that what happens behind the closed doors stays behind the closed doors. But now that you're mentioning it, even though I won't divulge, you know, maybe what specifically happens in therapy, I think there is something to share about being in therapy and what you get out of it right which is something that i do want to do more of because i think it's a really valuable tool that not enough people leverage so by talking about your experiences if you can get more people just to give it a shot why not i always ask because um i i feel like it's a gift in some ways and other forms of therapy which we'll get into in a later podcast but I always feel like in our community, it is so stigmatized 
And I think it's one of the things that sadly, and I'm ashamed to say this about our people, um, it holds us back because there are these tools and there's these are these things that can really make us emotionally and physically well in order to handle just the shit that this world brings us. And uh, we really don't see it that way. Is that your experience? I think that's true. And I think part of it has to do with people thinking that if you go to therapy, then there is something mentally wrong with you or you're mentally weak. Where I don't think that's the case. I have come around to viewing it almost more like going to the gym and getting physical therapy. Like, of course you would go to the gym to work out and make yourself stronger. It doesn't mean that you were a weak person to begin with, but why not better that side of yourself? Just like with the gym, you're going to better yourself physically, just like you would go to a doctor to get a checkup regularly, even if you're not feeling sick. Why not see a therapist to try to maybe address certain issues or problems that you have? Everybody has problems. Who doesn't have problems? So why not leverage a professional who can help you deal with some of those problems? It doesn't say anything negative about you. It just says that I'm trying to improve myself in this specific facet of my life. For this specific thing. Yeah. Can be very intent driven. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm a conspiracy theorist. I think the socialization that unfortunately has happened in our community is a way to keep us back. Um, we've been like ingrained or, or socialized to believe the certain concepts about things that are actually good for you only to just like further hinder um, us and just keep us back as a community. I don't know if I'm making sense, but this is how I feel about it. Like every outside of the community, it isn't as demonized or vilified or whatever the word would be as it is in ours. And I think that's probably a real specific reason um, because I'm, I can't comprehend why we would ha- continue to have the narrative that something that is actually good for you is so wrong. I just don't get it. But that's my love you. You have any questions for me? Um, what was that specific transition that made you go to this specific kind of therapy? You mentioned that you saw it and you saw it work. Oh. What, what did that mean? Oh, okay. So um, I was actually mandated to go. I was on active duty at the time. And uh, they did a lot of research with uh, active duty service members for PTSD, anxiety, and depression, and performance enhancement. So if they're going to do certain things, we want to make sure that they um, can cope with those things when they come back. So EMDR proved to be one of the most effective ways um, for folks to change their responses to what they had been exposed to overseas. So I went to this... um, I think, I can't remember how long it was, but it was quite long. And I went with um, my commander at the time. I was uh, his uh, executive executive officer. I think I might've been a captain. Yeah, lieutenant. Um, and uh, we're sitting in the back of the class and we're both just like, you know, thinking, oh, it is what it is, you know, hocus pocus, wave a magic wand and it'll take all your problems away, right? So then, um, we get to a certain point in in the training where we actually have to do it on each other. So we're like, okay, we're going to be teammates. We're going to tag team it out. And my negative experience or the, I just couldn't come up with anything. Cause obviously I'm mental health. I'm even though I'm a mental health professional, I'm like, ah, whatever, you know, I'm good. 
So my my um, experience that I focused on was I think when I lost a race for the first time or something like that in college. Like I had always been unbeatable, um, and uh, and I, I lost my first race and it wasn't bad. I think I got second. It was no big deal. So I was just like, "Yep, let me focus on that." The moment I lose this race, and he's like, "Okay, what's the negative belief?" And I'm like, "I'm not good enough," you know, because I didn't win. And uh, he starts doing the eye movements, and all of a sudden a picture of my father pops up in my mind. And I'm just like, huh, that's strange. I don't think about that man at all. Like, what's going on? What's happening? And then he's like, well, what's coming up for you? It's like a picture of my father. I don't know. That's weird. And he's like, was he at the track meet? No, absolutely not. You know, probably doesn't even know I'm a collegiate athlete or anything like that. Um, so he's like, okay, we'll go with that. And, you know, the picture of your dad. And he does it a second iteration and it was just like the floodgates opened up and it connected and it was just like this inherent feeling that I've always had, even though in this joking moment, I was telling myself I wasn't good enough. I, it had connected the dots that um, in that brief, like 20 second iteration that uh, there were a number of times where I had carried that narrative throughout my life that had gotten me up into the point where I'm sitting in this chair as an officer in the United States Army um, because of all of these things and this narrative of me not being good enough and having to prove so much. And it all almost kind of a lot was associated with my relationship with my father because he didn't show up for me. And of course, as a kid, the memory, the, the cognition that got stuck with him not showing up was that I wasn't good enough for him to. Um, and I got literally all of that from like just 20 seconds of someone waving the finger in front of my face. And I was just like, well, there might be something to this um, because that was literally 10 years of therapy and just just two and a half minutes. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question, but I think it did. Oh, OK. <laughs> Any other questions? No, that's it. OK. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really, truly appreciate it. I can't say that enough. Thank you for having me. Yep. Alrighty. You've been listening to the after session with Philip Lewis. I hope this time has been beneficial to you in some way. If you like some of the topics discussed, you can visit lewiscounseling.org and click on the after session or follow me on Instagram at the after session underscore. This podcast has been produced by Logan Wesley. You can follow Logan at onelawmusic.com or on Instagram at the number one L-A-W underscore music. Be good to yourself.